I was 13 years old when the package came in the mail. My aunt had sent me a Christmas present, and it sat underneath that tree for a month. There's nothing, oops, nothing worse to a junior high kid than hoping and wanting to get the gift that he's always wanted, and it show up and it like torture him for an entire month underneath that Christmas tree. Finally, the day come, we open it up. It's what I hoped for. It was the remote control car that I always wanted. It was the really cool customizable kind, you know, where you could put the kind of the tires on that you wanted, the wheels on that you wanted. You could put the suspension on that you wanted. Had a clear body. You could paint and put stickers on that you wanted. It was not a Honda Civic. I don't know why they make remote control cars that are Honda Civics. I don't, you know, kids have changed over the years, I guess. But it was a pretty cool gift, man. You could always tell. You could always tell when the batteries were going low, though, because the steering wouldn't work quite right. You know, you'd get that thing going on that dirt track or something like that, and you'd want to turn left, and it wouldn't turn left, and you'd wipe out, or you had that street track that you were going on. And it was a perfect toy for a junior high kid because you could go fast, you could run over stuff, you could run into stuff. You had a remote control, so you were in control. Every guy needs a remote control in his life. It's part of being a real man. I'm telling you, man, men like to be in control. But you can always tell when the batteries are low because it, it wouldn't respond properly to the controller. You know, I mean, there was, there was a disconnect between the car and the controller, and it, it wouldn't go quite right. And, and, and if you didn't recognize it happening and you didn't grab it soon enough, you, you'd end up wiping your car out and you'd have to, you know, repair it or something like that. I, I, my fear, I've got to be honest with you guys, my fear as we're doing this teaching series called Thread is that we, we, we learn in this teaching series about how God's customized our lives and how he's given us the really cool wheels and the really cool rims and the, and the cool suspensions we can change out in the body that we can paint the way we want to and that we learn about our abilities and gifts and our personality and experiences and how to leverage all of that stuff for the kingdom of God. But we miss out on a heart connection to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I gotta be honest, that's, it makes me a little fearful. Because I think it's really easy to take all that really cool stuff that God's gifted us with and use it for us instead of using it for Him and the way He intended for us to use all that stuff. The Bible has a lot of stuff to say about heart, and we're not gonna unpack all of it, but there is a verse I would like to unpack here today. If you grab your Bibles and, and kind of go right to the middle, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I'm gonna spend some time there hanging out and, and just talking about our hearts this morning and how that comes into play with everything else that God's uniquely designed us for and with. And as, as you turn to Proverbs chapter 4, if you check out the rest of that chapter sometime this week, you're basically going to see in Proverbs chapter 4 the heart of a loving father who, who is getting ready to kind of send his kid off into adulthood. And I don't know if you guys are there, and you got a teenager in your house, and, and you, you may be one of two things. You're either excited and, you, and you're happy to get them out of your house, or you're excited and you're happy to see them go and flourish. It's one of two things. And, and this parent, he's sitting down, it's kind of that whole guy moment where you take your son camping and you don't take any electronics with you, you don't take any food with you, you just take a knife and a fishing pole and you go cut stuff up and kill things and eat it and do man stuff together and play in the dirt and everything. 
all that stuff you do when you're a guy. And he, but he goes through this whole list of stuff, and he says, son, he, son, he starts off with wisdom. He says, you got, you got to get some wisdom because there's going to come a point in your life where you're going to need discernment because I'm not going to be around to coach you, and you're going to have to make really wise decisions without me. So you're going to have to pick up some wisdom. And he goes, son, son, you also need to be really careful about who you make your heroes in life to be, who you look up to, because people will let you down. And, and be careful who you emulate. Be careful who you surround yourself with because, because eventually you're going to become who you hang out with. And he goes, be careful about the things that you say because, because your mouth can get you into a lot of trouble, son, especially if you speak before you think. Be, be careful not to get sidetracked when God gives you a vision and a heart and a passion for something and he sets that in front of you as a dream and you go hard after that because that's what God's heart is for and you go really hard after that. Be careful not to get sidetracked to the left or to the right. He goes through a whole grocery list of stuff, really good advice that you'd want to give your son. But in verse 23, he says this, he says, above all else, in other words, son, listen, if you miss anything here, don't miss this. And it, by the way, if you read this chapter, you're going to see eight different times in this one chapter where this guy repeats himself, says, son, listen, son, pay attention. Hey, kid, give me your ear. You guys who are parents in this room, you get this because you do this all the time in your own house. I've got a little four-year-old, and occasionally it goes like this. Hey, Kennedy, I've got to talk to you, honey. Okay, daddy. Honey, you, you can't pick... Lincoln up by his head and, and drag him around. He's only four months old, okay? That's, that's not how we treat your baby brother. Okay, Daddy. Daddy, look at that bug! Kennedy's four years old, and she loves bugs. I mean, she gets totally psyched about bugs right now. She chases him around and tries to put him in a little bug cage and everything. And she likes him up until when they touch her. And then and, and she free. I mean, she just wigs out. Ah, you know, a little girl wigging out. It's kind of it's funny and kind of not. You guys are parents. I mean, you know. Come on. And, and, and so the deal is... He says, listen, eight times, and you guys who are parents, you get this because you have to repeat yourself in your house a lot, don't you? I've said this 13 times. Why don't you get this? I clean up your room. How hard can it be? And, and so he's saying this over and over. Son, get this. And in 23, verse 23, he says, above all else, if you don't do anything I've already said, or if you forget everything else I say, because you're going to forget some of it, if you forget something, don't forget this one thing. Don't forget this one thing. In verse 23, above all else, he says, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Guard your heart, because it affects everything that you do. It's your heart, your inner man, the stuff that happens inside you that nobody ever sees. It's your heart that determines how you feel. Your inclinations, your leanings, your passions. It determines what you say, the scriptures teach. It determines what you think. It determines what you do. It's our heart. Above all else, guard your heart. And the reason this teaching series in this moment has me a little nervous is that my fear is if we don't have a heart connection to our Lord, if our heart doesn't beat fast over the same things God's heart beats fast over, that we may take all these wonderful gifts that he's given us and our abilities and experiences and personality and all the stuff we're talking about in this series, and we may use it for the wrong things. We steer our life in a direction God never intended for it to go. And the scriptures are literally littered with stories of men and women who had all of the all-world talent stuff, all of the abilities, all of the gifts, but their lives ended in a train wreck. And you guys have seen stories like this before. There's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Saul 
Saul comes along at a time where Israel had no king. And Israel was complaining like a bunch of little kids in your own house. Dad, we want a king. We want a king. And so Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit to get together said, fine, we're going to give him a king. And so Saul hangs out with Samuel. Samuel was a prophet at the time. Samuel anoints Saul to be king. And, and the, the nation of Israel is excited. There's an economic upswing. Everybody's excited. Everybody's happy about what's happening in their country because they finally got a king. And, and so they picked Saul. You know, Saul's like the best-looking guy in Israel, the scriptures say. He's, he's taller than everybody else. He looks the part. You know, when you think king... Saul looks like a king. He's got the it factor kind of thing. And so everybody's really stoked because they got this really cool, good-looking king who's going to go save them from the Philistines. And if you read the Old Testament, you know the Philistines and Israelites, they're kind of like, like rivals, you know. They're kind of like always going at each other throughout the entire Old Testament. And, 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 and the deal is Saul comes along, and this is his very first battle. And, of course, they're fighting the Philistines. Saul goes out to battle, and he makes this wonderful strategic move in his very first battle, and they win, they win the battle. And so all of a sudden, Saul's legend begins to grow, and everybody's fallen in love with this new king, and they think everything is right in the world until Saul does something really, really, really stupid. See, before the very next battle, uh, Saul goes, and instead of Samuel, the priest, offering a sacrifice, Samuel's nowhere to be found. So Saul says, you know, hey, I'm the king. God put me in charge. No big deal. I'll just do it, right? Now, listen, they like cut up animals and sacrificed them before battle. I, God, please help us kill our enemies faster or something. I don't really know. But the deal was they did a sacrifice before the battle. And, and, and Saul does it. Samuel comes back right, before, right after it's done, kind of right at the very end of the, of the sacrifice. And Samuel's like, Saul, what did you do? What did you do? You know that that's only supposed to be done by the priest. You're the king. You're not supposed to do that part of the deal. You know what God says, how the parameters he's given us, the guardrails he's given us to live our lives within. And Samuel says, Saul, God's done with you. He's done with you. You got all the looks. You got all the, the talent, all the, the flashy stuff. But, dude, you've got no heart. In fact, the scriptures say that Samuel says out loud, the priest says out loud, you know what, God is done with you. He's going to go and he's going to find a young man who's got a heart after him. You know how Saul's story ends up, you know. I mean, it's his son kind of is working to dethrone his own father. And, and David, this new kid on the block, ends up becoming king and Saul's life ends tragically. You know, it's kind of a, kind of a bad story. But those of you who, who have employees that work for you, or you volunteer here at Cornerstone, or you lead in some kind of capacity in your life, you know how hard it is to find people who have heart. It's tough. It's really tough. I mean, you'll go through resume after resume after resume and employee after employee to find someone who doesn't just have the flash and the abilities, but's got that intangible thing that you can't teach, that you can't coach, that you have or you don't. You guys who are sports fanatics like me, You've, you've, you've seen all these kids come through, and they've got all-world ability. I mean, they're going to go and hit and, and go to a D1 school, and they're going to go to the NFL or the MLB or the NBA or something like that. I mean, you're like me, and you got it sent to your BlackBerry. And, like, you're watching recruiting high school kids right now, you know. And I'm a big Florida Gator fan, and so, so I get to, you know, kind of check and see who the Gators are recruiting right now before the season ever begins. And Any Gator fans? Two? There are like three godly people in this room. <laughs> Just kidding. ASU fans. Arizona. Isn't there like a, a Wildcats? Yeah. Come play in a real conference. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get the deal. I mean, you've all seen kids who've got all world talent and they look like they're going to make it really big, right? And what happens? Their talent exceeds their heart and they wash out. They never make it. They make some stupid decision along the way and they got all this great talent of what could have been but because they didn't pay attention to their heart, they didn't guard their heart, their life ends up in a train wreck. You see, talent and abilities and all that gifting stuff, that'll get you to the show, but it's heart that gets you to the finish line, guys. It's heart that gets you to the finish line. And I'm afraid as we have this teaching series and we talk about thread, if we don't have this conversation right here, that we'll end up using all the wonderful stuff that God's given us for the wrong things. So let's talk about this thing. What, is it, what does it mean to guard my heart? In fact, maybe a better question is, what am I supposed to be guarding my heart from? I mean, we're not talking about cholesterol here. We're not talking about the kind of food I eat, am I? I mean, this is the Bible, right? It's talking about spiritual stuff. So, so what, is it, what am I supposed to be guarding my heart from? Let me do a little bit of a parenthesis, if you don't mind, just for a second. Um, some of you guys may not know that in, kind of in a former life, before I did what I do right now, I did student ministry hands-on. And uh, yeah, pretty cool thing. If you're a teenager, you rock. Um, if you have a teenager, you're cool too. So kind of a lot of people in this room are really cool. So, but I did student ministry for a while. And, and one of the cool things about student ministry was I, I got to do, take students, high school students, on mission trips all over the world. One of my favorite things to do in student ministry was to take a student into a third world situation, let them be exposed to that, let them see that the kingdom of God is far bigger than what they could have imagined, let them see the, big, the world's a lot bigger than they could have imagined, that God could use them in a fashion they may not have ever imagined before, and that they could learn to use their gifts and, and be the church to one another and the people around them on this planet. And they can catch a heart for what God's heart beats really fast for, and that's the nations. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But, but selfishly, one of the cool things about doing these mission trips was I got to see the world. And I got to eat the food. I don't know how many of you guys ever get to travel around the world very much or have those opportunities. If you do, don't pass up indigenous food. Eat whatever they eat. Check it out. Try it. It may not taste good to you, but try it anyways. It's a really cool experience. When I was in Singapore, they had these things called durians. I don't know if any of you are from Singapore, from East Asia, but they have these things, they're called durians. It's a fruit. It's about the size of kind of a small pineapple kind of a deal, and, you, and it's army green colored, and you slice that thing in half, and inside there's these two really big honking seeds. And, and for those of you who are squeamish, this is the part of the sermon where you stop listening. Around those seeds was this custard kind of stuff that had the consistency of snot. I'm serious. And they would, they would like scoop this stuff up, and they eat this snot, consistency stuff that was like a real sick, sweet smell to it. Oh, it, was, it was disgusting, to be completely honest with you. It was so bad, no lie. In the subways in Singapore, there are signs outside the subways that, that say no durians allowed in the subway because they smell so bad. But I mean, they, they love them, you know, because they've, they've grown up with them. Their appetite has been, you know, kind of bent towards durians, which I think is really weird because I'd never eat one, but they love them. In Africa, we got a team in Africa right now, right? And they're over there in Kenya doing some work. In Africa, I got to eat some animals I didn't think that you were supposed to eat. Uh, when I was growing up, I used to see goats, like, you know, in people's yards. And I don't know what you do with a goat. Maybe you milk a goat. I don't know. I'm not sure. But in Africa, they eat them. And honestly, I was a little skeptical about eating goat. Um, some of you may have a pet goat. I'm sorry. It's quite tasty, to be completely honest with you. It tastes a little bit like roast beef if it's cooked right, you know. In, uh, 
In Ecuador, they have this thing called cui. And uh, if you go to a pet store here in America and you walk down the rodent aisle in the pet store, you see a kind of a large, medium-sized rodent called a guinea pig. Yep. Cui. Yeah, I mean, I've never been to a pet store myself and saw a guinea pig and say, ooh, that big, fluffy, brown and white one right there, that looks tasty. Let's stick him on a stick and eat him, right? But, you know, that's what they eat. That's what their appetite has been bent towards. And cui, when, they, when they're done being cooked, they kind of come out looking like this, you know? <laughs> and being, being the, the white guy who's leading the mission trip from, from out of the country, you know, it's kind of the place of honor. So you know who gets the head on his plate? Yeah. It's never good when your food's looking back at you, you know. Not the tastiest thing in the world. But it's, it's your appetite. It's, it's what your heart has been bent towards a little bit. Coca-Cola gets this really well. I don't know how many of you guys have been to Atlanta. In Atlanta, there's a Coke factory. And, and, and you can go to Atlanta and the Coke factory, and you can sample Coca-Cola from all over the planet, from all kinds of different countries, and see what it tastes like. And you would think that Coke is Coke, right? Who messes with Coke? Remember they tried to mess with Coke years ago, and they kind of did the whole, it kind of flopped. It was new Coke, and then they did clear Coke, and they just kind of went back to the classic Coke because it, it flopped. You know, what Coca-Cola does really, really, really well is they study, study their demographics. And when they're going into a new market in a different country, they realize and they understand and they study what the appetite of that culture is like. And they actually change the recipe of Coca-Cola to fit the culture they're going after. Pretty, pretty smart stuff. So if you go to the Coke factory in Atlanta, you can taste Coke from all over the world. And it does not taste like this, I guarantee you. It tastes bad. And when I come home from those mission trips... There's no place I want to be other than in my home, at my kitchen table, eating my wife's home-cooked food, because it's awesome. I love her. She's a, she's a great, great cook. Now, if I brought those people here, they would have hated my wife's cooking. I don't. I love it. You guys get this? Could, could guarding my heart be as simple as paying attention to what my heart has an appetite for? Could guarding my heart be as simple as intentionally training my heart to have an appetite for following after God? Intentionally training my heart to have an appetite, a hunger, a desire for holiness. Likewise, I think it's very, very possible to train your heart to have an appetite for selfishness, for sinfulness, for rebellion. By the way, sin unchecked always leads to more sin. It's easier to walk further away from the Lord if you're taking a step and a step because your heart gets trained for that. Your heart develops an appetite for that. It's easier to walk with God the longer you do it. And for those of you who have walked with God for a long time, you get that principle because your heart's been trained to do that. So guarding your heart, guarding your heart I think it has, an absolute, has absolutely something to do with what the appetite of your heart is. And I think that's an intentional choice we make. Something we can train our hearts for, to have an appetite for one thing or the other. I think guarding our heart also has to do with where we put our hope. Let me show you what I mean. If you turn your Bible just a couple of pages to the right to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It says this, it says, hope deferred 
In other words, hope that's been placed in something and it hasn't come true. I've longed for this, I've hoped for it, I've wished for it for a long, 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 long time. And it has not come true. And it's never going to come true. And my heart's sick over it. Hope deferred. Hope misplaced. By the way, when your hope is in Jesus Christ, guess who comes through? Your hope will never, never, never be deferred if your hope and your heart are set on Jesus Christ. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when dreams come true, there's life and joy. I think there's something that you and I are guilty of in this room. The generations that are represented in this room. I think we're guilty of, one, chasing after the wrong hope. Setting our heart on something we should have never set our heart on. And I think many of us are equally as guilty as casting that vision to our own children. You see, success in America for us, it's basically grow up, go to school, get great grades at school. In fact, make sure your grades are better than the next kid next to you because your scholarship at college is affected by those grades. So you better do really, 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 really well at grades. And so you're not successful unless you get the right grades. And and not only that, but you you better do really, 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 really well in sports, too, and conquer that as well. And be popular. Have a lot of friends. Date a lot of people. Go to the right college with the right name on the college and get the right degree. And again, while you're there, make sure you get great grades and and meet that young lady who's attractive and marry her. Meet that young man who's attractive and and marry him and and graduate and start a life together and and land that really, really great job you've always wanted. And, And then buy your own house in the suburbs and have 2.5 2.5 children, and, and oh, I don't know how you have 2.5, I have two, and Lincoln's four months old, because he kind of could be 0.5, but so I don't know if I'm there yet or not, we have three. By the way, you know, go to church on the weekends and throw God a bone while you're at it too, that, that's a successful life, right? For most of us, if our kids grew up and did as well as we do, or better than us, and, and enjoyed life, and had a nice car, and a nice home, and had kids, and went to church, we'd be happy. We'd think that we were great parents. See, I, I, think, I think we've set our hearts on the wrong things. We've placed our hope in the wrong place because I think our station in life and what we have and even what we do as a career, that's not the stuff that keeps God up at night. That's not the stuff that God's heart beats fast for. Do you want me to tell you what it is? You know what keeps God up at night? You know what God's heart beats really, really fast for? The nations. The nations. The fact that God is drop dead crazy about the people on this planet who don't know him. And he wants nothing more. And his heart beats passionately and fervently and strongly for people who don't yet know him. That's what keeps God up at night. Not whether I drive a a Honda Civic or some other beater car. I don't think God cares about the house I live in. I don't think God cares about the kind of car I drive. I think God cares about the nations. At least when I read the scriptures, that's what I see God always moving history towards and moving people towards to influence the nations to know him. 
And my fear, guys, my fear is this. My fear is that we'd use all the stuff we're learning in this thread series, all of our abilities, all of our experiences and personalities and all of that stuff, that we'd use that to build our kingdom. We'd use that to run after a hope that's not the right hope to be running after. My fear is that we'd miss it and we'd take the controls of our lives and we'd steer our our life the wrong way. Do you know why God gave you the abilities he gave you and the, the personality and the experiences and, and the gifts and all the stuff we're talking about in Thread? The reason God has uniquely designed you and, and gave you such a customized life is so you could be a part of God's great hope and heart for the nations. That God would get glory and that you would find fulfillment and peace in life And how many people have that? Maybe it has something to do with the fact that we've put our hope in the wrong place. There was a young man in the New Testament. He was rich. He's good looking. And he's even spiritual, all you single ladies out there. Yeah. Has one girl in the first service, she's like, where can I get his number? He comes, he, he comes to Jesus because he's heard all the stuff about Jesus. He says, Jesus, he says, you know, how, how, do, I, how do I inherit eternal life? What, what must I do to get into heaven? Decent question. And Jesus goes through a grocery list of stuff and says, whoa, whoa, Jesus, wait, wait, wait. I've, I've already done all those things. What do I have to do to get into heaven? And Jesus looks back at this young man and Jesus being God and all that, knowing the condition this guy's in what's happening in his heart and what he has and doesn't have. He says, guy, look, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And the scriptures teach us that this young man kind of got down in the face, kind of walked away pretty bummed out because he had a lot of stuff. See, Jesus, I really don't think Jesus cared much about his money. Jesus doesn't need his money. I don't think Jesus cared about his stuff and whether he had stuff or not. That's not the issue. You know the issue that Jesus is driving down on? Jesus knew the condition of this guy's life. And Jesus knew that his stuff had his heart. What has your heart? What has your heart? What does your heart beat fast for? What do you love? What's going on inside you that nobody else knows? What has your heart? And if Jesus said, leave that and follow me, could you do it? If Jesus has your heart, that'd be no big deal because it's just stuff. And that's where the rubber meets the road, right there. That's the crux of it right there. It's am I using all of these wonderful things we're learning about with thread, this customized, uniquely designed life by God for us, for his glory, Am I using that to build his kingdom or mine? So how do I guard my heart? That's what I'm supposed to guard my heart from. How do I guard my heart? I don't think it's like a Kevlar vest. I don't think that does it. Again, we're talking about the Bible here, spiritual stuff. You know, I think it's as simple as this. I think you you protect your heart by being cautious about what you download into your life. Because what you download into your life, the scriptures teach, above all else, guard your, your heart. Why? Because out of your heart comes everything we do. You protect your heart from what you download into your life because what you put in really will come out. 
The scriptures talk about in the New Testament, there's a phrase where it says, don't give Satan any foothold in your life. And probably the best way for me to contextualize that in my life is I grew up in, in D.C. on the East Coast in the D.C. area where there was actually trees and grass and flowers and birds and, you know, it's like a Disney movie. That's where I grew up. And I moved here to Arizona and I found out that my front yard was a gravel parking lot, which is a little bit of a shock to me. And, and so I moved here and, and I, I tried to plant some tomatoes when I moved here. That didn't go real well. Um, there was no soil in my yard. There was just rocks and desert. And so we put them in pots and they kind of got cooked, to be honest with you. In a couple of days, they were just kind of like, oh, help me. You know, they're just, they're in bad shape, man. So if you know how to grow tomatoes, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to know. But because the deal is, in, in Northern Virginia, growing up there by D.C., we had a huge garden, like a quarter of an acre garden. And we grew corn and potatoes and tomatoes and green beans and all this stuff like that. And, and when we weren't growing stuff in our garden, we, we would put stuff in the garden so it would grow better in the springtime. You know, when it was time to rake the leaves, we'd rake all the leaves into the garden. And then we'd pour gasoline on them and blow them up. Because, you know, guys like playing with fire. Fire's fun. And so we would do that. And, and then, you know, if, if, there's a, if there's fish that we caught, we'd put all the fish entrails in the garden. And, you know, the ashes from the, the wood stove and fireplace, those went in the garden. You get the idea. The garden was a big compost pile when we weren't growing stuff in it. Why? Because we wanted the soil to be fertile and prepared and ready to bring good stuff in the spring. And the best way I can equate this in my mind to guarding my heart and not letting Satan have a foothold in my life is to tend the soil of my heart and be cautious about what I put in it. To ask myself the question, or to ask ourselves the question, what does the soil of my heart look like? What is it ready to bear? What will grab hold and root in my heart and grow up? Because I believe we can tend the soil of our heart. And we can prepare our heart to bring forth holiness and righteousness in a heart that hungers and follows hard after God. Or we can prepare the soil of our heart to bear forth selfishness and destruction and a light that we live for us and a light that's called sin. And I believe that's a choice that we make. That what we download into our life, it does come out. And my great fear is that we go through this whole teaching series called Thread about how God's uniquely designed us and he's given us these customizable lives and he's done it for his glory and our good. And we get to the end of the whole thing and we decide, you know what? I'm going to steer my life the way I want to steer my life. And I'm going to use all these cool things God's given me for me. Battery's dead. We'll have to fix that for the next service. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you that you've gifted the people in this room with so many cool, cool gifts and abilities. And you've given them and wired them with wonderful experiences and personalities for your glory and for our good. God, forgive us when we use all that stuff to build our kingdom and not yours. Father, This morning, would you give us the guts to allow you the freedom to kind of poke around in our heart and kind of see what, what kind of soil we're developing, kind of see what we're downloading into our hearts. 
And then God, would you give us the guts to listen to you and obey you and follow you when you call us to change. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.